Welcome, everyone. It is time for the first edition of Higher Exchanges. I am your host, Jesse Redmond, head of the cannabis sector at Water Tower Research. I am joined today and every week by my two cannabis investing cronies. First, Mayor Toby. Toby, how's it going today? I'm good, Jesse. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It is a rare 85 degree day in Santa Barbara. I'm guessing it's warm where you are as well. It is. Uh, there's a little, little bit of a heat wave coming up. Yeah. And we also have our pal Morgan Paxia, co-founder and managing director of Poseidon Asset Management. Morgan, how's it going? I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call it a comeback. He's been here for years. Isn't that what someone said? <laughs> Back in the spaces. All right. No, it's good to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me. I'd imagine uh, Morgan has a recent Southern California transplant that's plenty warm where you are as well. It is. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, I understand it's also beautiful in the Bay. So just California's uh, California summer is in full effect. Yeah, we always get the late, uh, late heat wave here. Well, I'm glad we're all connected. Um, before we get started and getting into the fun stuff, I just want to lay out the groundwork and talk a little bit about what higher exchanges is going to be and let everybody chime in and talk about uh, what their goals are with the podcast and the spaces. And uh, I'll start off just letting everybody know how this is going to work. So we're going to gather once a week, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, which is right after the close. And this is going to be a live Twitter spaces, which I think most of you are familiar with. It'll also be recorded. So if you can't listen live, you can catch the recording on, uh, on, on Twitter. But in addition, we're going to upload this as a podcast. So that's a little bit clunky with Twitter spaces. Um, I have to request an archive of the data, convert the file, and then upload it to the podcast platforms. And I think that's going to take about 48 hours. So live Thursdays after the close, Catch the recording on Twitter anytime you want. If you prefer to listen to the podcast, that will be available over the weekend. And as we work through this, I'll see how fast I can get that done. But a lot of it is up to how quickly Twitter can get us the data for the podcast. But really excited. We're going to hit this in three ways, live, recorded on Twitter, and then also as a podcast. You can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, Spotify, and things like that. So those are the logistics of it um, in terms of... The help we've gotten with the show, I just want to thank Water Tower Research, the company that I work for. Uh, there's been some work to get this done in terms of the artwork, which I shared today, which I'm really happy with how that worked out. That'll appear on all the plod podcast platforms. Uh, we've had to do some behind the, behind the scene things from a compliance basis just to make sure that that fits well in our, on our platform and checks all the boxes. And finally, they're help, helping me out with the hosting and the operations. So please appreciate that ongoing support from Water Tower Research. The other thing I want to talk about up front is why do we want to do this project? You know, there's no shortage of podcasts in the world. There's not that many good cannabis investing podcasts, and there's, and there's not a ton of spaces out there either. There are some good ongoing ones that I listen to as well. But for myself, um, you know, I was really excited about this and excited about the way that it came together. And from my perspective, and I'll pass it over to Morgan and Toby here in a second, but when I think about why I wanted to do this, um, I start with that I always enjoy my conversations with Morgan and Toby. Um, for the last year or so, I've had consistent monthly conversations with Morgan and Emily offline, and those are always really helpful. I learn a lot and I enjoy talking to them. And the same thing with Toby, we've connected offline and had a bunch of good conversations. And so I respect them very much and I always enjoy talking to them. So that's a starting point for me. 
In terms of spaces and recorded things like this, um, most of you listening will, will remember Morgan and uh, the Poseidon team had the cannabis closing bell with Poseidon. And I was kind of getting my fix over there by occasionally being a guest that was on every few weeks. And those were always really fun. And then I also had Morgan on my other podcast, which is called The Water Tower Hour. And that's the most popular episode we've done of that show so far. And so I think that shows that, A, people want to hear from Morgan, but I think people also have enjoyed the conversations and the dynamic uh, be between us. And I think that's because we both you know, like this, like each other, and really like talking about cannabis. And also with Toby, you know, we had the great offline conversations, but we've, we've uh, you know, I've heard a million of Toby's spaces and those are always great. But we also did one together a few weeks ago of can investments that I know a lot of you tuned into. That was really fun and hope to uh, do more stuff with Nick. Uh, he's great as well. And so putting putting this all together with the cannabis closing bell with Poseidon stopping, I think we all saw an opportunity to launch something fresh. And for me, if I were to say why I want to do this, the single biggest reason is these are conversations I want to have anyway. I wouldn't do this if it was going to be painful, something that I didn't look forward to. But I know already this week I've been looking forward to it. And I also know I'm going to get better at my job and better at, be a better cannabis investor as a result of these conversations. I mean, really what we're doing here is we're taking three people that would want to have a conversation once a week anyway, we're putting together an agenda in advance, we're all working and preparing for it, and we just happen to have this conversation in public. So I think in the end for me, it's something that's fun, it's something I'm going to learn, learn from, and then I also hope that it's something that's successful. You know, I'd say candidly, we hope this is the most popular cannabis investing space as we want to be the number one cannabis investing podcast. And it's not really an ego thing. I think for me, it's just a matter of that we want to work hard, produce great content and have a fun time. So why don't I pause it here before we go go much further? And uh, why don't I throw it over to, over to you first, Morgan? And maybe you can just share a little bit about, first of all, why you were interested in uh, doing this higher exchanges project. Sure. Well, First of all, thank you to Water Tower for uh, making this happen. Uh, we know that there is time and work that goes into making these things happen and really appreciate the support for allowing us to have this venue to do this. Um, you know, we did the closing bell pretty consistently for almost two years, twice a week. And for the reasons you were mentioning, I felt like we were very sharp. It was very focused. Um, it just helped kind of you know, keep your eyes very much, uh, you know, on the prize. And uh, unfortunately, you know, during that time, it was a very tough market, but we did really enjoy the work um, just as we have for 10 years now, uh, that this is what we do. This is pretty much in my brain, every moment of every day is, is cannabis. Uh, whether we're talking about private companies, public companies, what we're doing in our funds, you name it. Um, so, I think these are, are great platforms uh, to be able to talk about these things. Um, and I'm happy to continue to share that. Now, when we, we put a pause on, on, on our spaces, I really needed that break. Um, you know, it was a pretty tough time with uh, the decision that we made over the summer. And, um, and I just really didn't feel like it was, it was a, a proper platform to do that anymore, you know, with the closing bell. Um, so when you and Toby approached me about uh, this group coming together, I thought this was a great way to come back and get back into the conversation with you all, um, where it just, you know, feels like these were always great conversations. As you mentioned, Jesse, you know, we've had numerous conversations, Toby, you know, we've all had so many conversations uh, over the last couple of years. 
And I think these are good uh, conversations where we're not, you know, we do have um, a good dynamic. We're not always agreeing. And that's, I think is a good thing. Um, that's what markets are all about, right? Uh, this is not one way or the other. There's, there's a mix of opinions, um, but we do so from respect uh, of each other's, you know, knowledge and, and ex expertise. Um, and I think that's a great thing for the community as well is, you know, that, you know, to have a proper discourse uh, around this space. Um, it's an, you know, it's a nuanced space. It's ever changing, right? The only, the only constant is change in cannabis, as we've said many times over the years. And, um, you know, so having a, a good group to, um, you know, discuss these matters with, I think is, is just a good platform. So I think this is great. Um, thank you again for bring me back into the mix here. And um, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be a, uh, a great discussion. I think it's, there's a lot of opportunity for us, as you mentioned, to uh, fill a void that was uh, what is left prior when we, when I pulled back out. Um, but uh, also just from the, uh, you know, the podcast world as well, I think, yeah, as you mentioned, I think this is a, um, there's tons of podcasts out there, but the quality is, is what separates it. And I think we can bring a lot of quality to this conversation. Great. Toby, curious your perspective on things to uh, break the fourth wall. Toby is really the one that maybe is responsible for this because uh, Toby's been doing his own spaces. I've been doing my own spaces. Then Toby and I collaborated on that one with Cannabisman. So that was really fun. And Toby reached out to me and said, hey, man, I'd be interested in doing this maybe a couple times a month. Would you want to host something like that with me? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. Then we thought, well, why don't we make it weekly and see if Morgan wants to jump in here too? So Toby, what are your thoughts about why you're here and what you want to accomplish? Yeah, well, um, you know, thanks again um, for, uh, you know, this really is a, a, a three-way project and, you know, this is a collaborative partnership with the two of you. Um, I would say that, um, yeah, look, I, I reached out to you as you, as you just said, and, um, you know, I, um, I like spaces. Um, look, I think the cannabis sector is, you know, candidly, and I've said this before, it's still, it's still very much a niche sector. Um, and obviously a lot of the conversations happen on Twitter. Um, you know, we're all part of it. And um, I, I really do believe that there is a community here. Um, and I believe in um, collective learning. I think uh, it was Canada Investments that, that said that on the podcast I did with you, Jesse, or the spaces I did with you is, you know, uh, due diligence through on a collective basis makes us, uh, you know, more successful. Um, and so, um, look, I like doing spaces. I've done spaces with the executives and other stakeholders in the sector. Uh, but candidly, from a, from a personal reason, um, I, I was looking for an avenue to sort of have a forum where I could express more of my own opinion as far as, you know, um, how this sector is developing, um, you know, the pros and cons, the opportunities and the challenges. Um, and I thought the spaces we did with, with Cannabisments went really well. And I wanted to kind of continue that but more on a, on a regular basis. Um, so, you know, I think everyone knows I'm a, I'm a long-term believer in the sector. Um, all three people here, we are long-term um, bulls on the sector. Um, but we also want to be very candid about the sort of, uh, again, both the opportunities and the, you know, <laughs> never ending string of challenges that, that this sector is facing. Um, and so I thought it would be great to collaborate with both of you. Um, and I think we each kind of bring something unique to the table. Um, Jesse, you obviously network with a lot of, uh, we, we all have a pretty big network in this sector. Um, you know, I, there's obviously a big overlap, but 
Jesse, you've gotten up to speed on a lot of the, uh, you know, smaller companies. Um, you know, Morgan's obviously very involved on the private side. Um, and myself, um, obviously, I'm a little bit more of a high level guy um, because I, I spend time outside of the sector um, in my other investments as well. Um, but yeah, I thought we could all kind of bring something to the table and have a candid discussion each week about, um, you know, recent developments. Um, I would say that, you know, I think most people know I do take a long-term lens to, to this sector. Um, and, um, you know, I view it as a developing sector that one should, um, you know, not look at the stock prices every day. Um, so we are not going to be talking about daily stock prices. We are, you know, going to be focused on, you know, how the sector developing, um, you know, longer term. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, like I said, it, this is still a niche sector. Um, it's a small group of people that um, seem to care in the grand scheme of, you know, the investment world. But I think that's only going to grow from here. And um, I'm hopeful that we can, um, you know, have some good conversations and, and bring increased awareness. Um, and lastly, I'll just say that um, I, uh, I, I think it's unique that we're doing a hybrid spaces podcast because I um, uh, frankly, Jesse, I didn't. I told you this. I didn't want to go through all the work to to put together my own podcast. So definitely appreciative of the Water Tower folks for helping out there. Um, I like the spaces format, but I also think a podcast can sort of help increase our reach. And there's obviously a lot of people who just aren't on Twitter and they want to uh, prefer a podcast format. So, anyways, great. You know, launching this with you too. Um, I only wish that we, you know, had taken a photo together when we were all in Chicago last week together, um, you know, missed opportunity, but now that Morgan's down in Southern California, I'm sure we'll find, we'll find a time soon. Yeah. I just saw a thumbs up from El Guapo and I saw that handsome man out there in Chicago. Did you get a, did you get a chance, Toby, to lay eyes on El Guapo? I, I did not, but I heard he was wearing a cap and I saw, I, I saw some dude with a cap running around with, uh, with, with the MSOS guys. So maybe that was him. Um, but you know, um, Guap, I'm, I'm sure I'll meet you someday. Um, but yeah, as you know, I'm, obviously we're going to talk a lot about the conference during this uh, episode. But um, you know, as, as you, Morgan and Jesse, as you both know, these conferences are just kind of crazy. Everybody's just running around. So, yeah, beautiful transition to the next point in the agenda, Toby. You're, you're like an old pro here. We were all at the Benzinga conference, and uh, that was really helpful for me in a bunch of different ways. First of all, just looking live at who's here. Uh, li listening to it on Twitter, I see a bunch of names here where it was fantastic to meet all of you in person. Um, you know, one thing I took away from it is you can accomplish a lot over Zoom and phone calls and social media, but there still is a huge value in meeting people, both from a business, a personal and networking perspective. So we'll get more into that. But that was one of my big takeaways is it was great to meet a lot of you that are listening live today out there at the event but yeah, the Benzinga conference was in Chicago last week. I went out there with the Water Tower research team. Uh, there were three or four of us out there. Uh, we had a bunch of meetings with operators and investors. And I naively thought, oh, cool, I'll run into Toby and Morgan and we'll spend plenty of time together. But everywhere I saw someone from Poseidon, I was seeing Emily, I was seeing Colin. I'm like, where the heck is Morgan? And they're like, he's in a meeting. And then I go to the happy hours and the parties and I'm looking around, I see Toby over there and I'm like, okay, I'll talk to Toby in a second. And next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock and it's past my bedtime and I'm heading home. So yeah, definitely at future conferences. Uh, I don't know if you guys are going to MJ biz, we can talk about that offline, but, or Benzinga next year, but we'll have to actually schedule some time together. But yeah, the conference was super helpful. I know Toby, you had some takeaways. So why don't I throw it back to you and you can uh, maybe lead off talking about what, what your biggest, maybe three takeaways were from the Benzinga conference. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. Um, why don't we, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give the first one um, and then maybe you guys can chime in and then we'll, we'll go through the rest of them. But, um, you know, look, my, my biggest takeaway from the conference um, from spending time with, you know, stakeholders, um, mainly, you know, company executives, um, you know, and just sort of other people working in the sector is um, it, it was an interesting time. Um, candidly, I hadn't even signed up for the conference until two weeks ago. Um, I, um, you know, I'd been kind of like slightly scaling back my time in cannabis, um, focusing more on my other investments. But, um, you know, given the HHS Schedule 3 recommendation that came out, you know, August 30th, um, you know, I think that that's a, a very significant game changer for the sector. And, um, you know, that I, I feel... Um, you know, again, uh, I'm not going to make predictions around what will or won't happen on the legislative front, um, you know, with an exact timeline. But I feel pretty good that that cannabis is on a path to being rescheduled. And I think that there's very significant positive ramifications to that. And so I, I literally signed up for the conference last minute just saying, hey, I got to go talk to people, network in person, et cetera. I agree with you, Jesse. There's a lot that you can get done, accomplished, you know, virtually and behind a screen and Zooms, but there's nothing like kind of just getting out there and, and meeting people. Um, and plus, it's always kind of cool telling my friends and family I, I'm going to a weed conference. I feel like that's, that is one positive uh, flex that you can kind of, you know, you can flex on people. But, um, um, you know, I would say the biggest, um, my biggest takeaway um, from the conference was, I guess the term, yeah, cautious optimism. Um, you know, I think a lot of the sector participants, including the executives, um, are, you know, obviously the sector's been so beaten down. Nothing's happened on the legislative front for a long time. And I feel like obviously companies at the beginning of the year and throughout this whole year have had to um, adapt their business models and plan for no reform. Uh, plan for high cost of capital continued. Plan for you know, 280E to continue, et cetera. And, you know, that's obviously the right strategy, but, um, you know, I feel like, you know, most executives are, um, I feel like a lot of stakeholders are pretty optimistic on, on rescheduling to schedule three. Um, and, you know, obviously the significant positive changes that that will bring. However, at the same time, every single company I talked to still told me, but we're still planning for status quo like this for now, for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future, um, we are going to continue to operate, you know, currently as is. Um, so I feel like it's still very early in the process. Again, you know, this news only dropped about a month ago or a little over a month ago. And, um, you know, I think that um, the whole sector is adapted, right? I mean, we've all learned not to count on federal reform. Um, and to obviously plan for status quo. And I feel like the companies, to be honest, I think they're in a really good spot. I mean, like not good spot right now, because obviously they're still facing a mountain of challenges, but things aren't getting worse, right? I feel like things are on the margin getting better despite, you know, lack of federal reform. But I really feel like, you know, this federal reform, I mean, particularly rescheduling, I'm much more focused on rescheduling over safer, um, I feel like there's a very um, logical and credible timeline um, timeline associated with it. Um, and so, 
you know, I actually really liked what I heard. Well, the last thing I wanted to hear were, you know, companies high-fiving each other and saying, hey, like, you know, the market's going to open up again tomorrow and we're going to raise all this money and we're going to start opening all this new cultivation and this and that. So I feel like the companies, um, you know, I titled this like, you know, companies have found religion. I really do feel like uh, the companies, for the most part, have found religion in sort of, you know, learning to be more efficient, um, learning how to better plan and allocate capital, um, you know, given the current environment. And again, it's, it's everyone's optimistic on rescheduling but no one is changing their near-term business model um, around it. So I, I will pause there and um, see if you guys have anything to add to that. Yeah, I was hearing a lot of the same, Toby, and I was, I was really happy to hear it as well. I think it was Andrew from Forefront in our meeting said you have to just continue to hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And the word I, I kept hearing, kept thinking to myself at the conference was cautiously optimistic. Like it, I, I wasn't at Benzinga in, I think it was February, the one in Miami where it rained 14 feet or whatever happened. Uh, but yeah, I heard that was a dreary event from a weather perspective, but also from a sentiment perspective. And the vibe I took away from Benzinga was, yeah, there weren't a lot of high fives in terms of uh, people expecting that things were suddenly going to change and all of our problems were solved. But it does look like there could be multiple things that are heading in the right direction. Totally agree, Toby. Um, solid a distraction at this point because I think it is beneficial. But clearly, the focus needs to be on getting to Schedule 3, re removing 280E and all the benefits that go with that. But also, people were excited about progress on the state level. You know, I had a good conversation with David Goubert, CEO of Air Wellness. And if you guys want to hear that, this is not intended to be a plug, but you can listen to the latest episode of the Water Tower Hour to hear David's interview. Also, John Levine from Merimed and uh, Shane Johnson from InMed Pharmaceuticals. But during the interview with David, you know, he talked about these three key states where you have uh, Ohio on the ballot this fall. You have Pennsylvania, which is working, working its way through Congress. And then the monster out there is that you have Florida. Uh, with 22 million people and what is it, 137 million tourists. And so I always think about, and you guys are going to get sick, sick of hearing me say this, but I always think about cannabis as a state-led growth story with a series of hard-to-time political catalysts. And if we look back at the last 12, 18 months, we've seen little progress on both fronts. New Jersey was cool. We could use more, st more stores there. The stores we have are super productive. But that's really about the most positive we think we've had on the state side and then on the federal side, we've had absolutely zero in the last few years. And so it's I, I would it'd be disingenuous for me to say I expected things to get this bad because I, you know, I'll raise my hand and say I've been too optimistic and I've been wrong about that. I think most people in this room have been wrong about that. But I think when we look at the facts right now and we say, OK, if cannabis is a state led growth story with a series of hard to time political catalysts, are these things actually potentially taking place? We don't know certainties. I don't know if Ohio is going to pass. I don't know what's going to happen in Pennsylvania. I don't know what's going to happen with Florida. Will it for sure get on the ballot? They need 60% over there for that to pass. Ohio is 50%, so 60% is a higher hurdle. We don't know for sure what the DEA is going to say. You know, safe is always a wild card. We've been fooled seven times on that one before. But when we look at things, we are seeing states unlock, which is probably number one for me. And then we are seeing this series of potential federal federal catalysts. And I think those combination of those two things do justify more optimism, but because they're uncertain, celebrating them would be silly at this point. And I was glad to hear a fairly sober and rational perspective at the conference. Morgan, what was your perspective on this first point we're talking about in terms of the companies finding religion? Yeah, well, 
uh, great point about uh, Benzinga in uh, January, February, whatever that was in Miami. Uh, first of all, the Benzinga team does a great job. Those events are great. Um, and I thought the Chicago event was was really good. But to your point about sentiment, it was it was very uh, low uh, at the beginning of this year, and which is justified. You know, at that point, you know, companies were very unsure about their direction. Right, a lot of them still hadn't taken the medicine. They were still kind of you know hoping for change, but there was no pathway, or it didn't seem like there was anything coming on the horizon. Um, so it just kind of felt like you know still just going down down the abyss a little bit. Um, versus this time, you know, a lot of companies have, have started to take necessary action. Um, I think there's still plenty to do to become more efficient, but to also unlock growth um, that doesn't require a lot of capital. So they're feeling a little bit better because they are taking a little bit more control of their business as they should, which is good. Um, but the sentiment was notably off the low. Uh, so I do, I did see that. And um but at the same time, people are like, we've been down this path so many times. Uh, no one is getting overly optimistic about safer. Um, you know, for most of the the large operators, you know, as, as we've talked about, it's it's largely a perception thing for the government to finally recognize that cannabis is a part of the U.S. economy. Um, it really doesn't change their business very much other than uh, uh, clarity around uh, uh, debit and credit card transactions. Obviously, that would help their um, there's more revenue that would just be unlocked just from that alone, which was is significant. Um, presuming that uh, you know Mastercard would say that's okay, you know that meets enough of their um, you know uh, cover that they would be you know more open about it versus the retrenchment. So you know there was just a little you know when you were saying cautiously optimistic, it reminded me of, you know we used to say is uh, nauseously optimistic <laughs> uh, in this space. Um, but yeah, no, I think. Uh, I, I'm glad that we are taking some steps as an industry, as these companies. Uh, I still think there's more that they can do. Um, and I, and I think that's, you know, taking a bit of time. Um, but, but it is helping the longer this kind of environment persists um, because you're, you're absolutely right. Nothing's actually changed yet. Um, you know, we are potentially see, seeding some change here uh, really in the form of rescheduling. Um, but uh, most folks I was talking to, um, is maybe just because we've all been, you know, punched so many times with this uh, process with, you know, what was originally safe, um, failing numerous times in the house, um, now finally getting a banking hearing, but, you know, it's it's starting to get a bit noisier again. Um, in the Senate, maybe we still can muster through, but this house is looking pretty, pretty tough. Um, so most groups I was talking to, they're just like, we just don't, to your point, no one is is building a business plan around change of of safer happening in the near term, uh, and near term really at this point being beyond the elections uh, next year. So, um, but safe, uh, but rescheduling is something that feels more tangible to folks, um, understandably so. I mean, there there's justified justifiable optimism, um, presuming it goes to schedule three. And Congress does a reasonable uh, implements a reasonable tax rate. Um, you know, it does have some people a little bit nervous. Um, you know, I did hear some concern around uh, rescheduling of medical, uh, which would leave adult use still at Schedule One, which would be kind of crazy and, and tough. So you know, what I mean, so there's so there's optimism and uncertainty mixed in. So it's just keeping a lot of the companies uh, 
This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. You know, inward focus for now. I think that's why, you know, even through this, uh, uh, you know, wave of optimism and, and prices coming up a bit, um, it hasn't necessarily uh, immediately brought in any kind of uh, cycle yet uh, uh, from a transactions perspective from M&A. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about the operators, and I think we both agree there. The message is cautiously optimistic, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I think we're happy to see that see see that attitude. I think we agree that's what we saw. Let's transition quick and talk about the investor side. And my observation, this is my first Benzinga, so you guys, uh, I look forward to hearing your guys' perspective on this, uh, especially Morgan, you've probably been to the most of these. But I think there were a lot of familiar faces there. I don't think there are a bunch of new people that signed up from the conference from hedge funds or endowments or bigger allocators that were there to learn about cannabis. I didn't see too many of those folks. I have had those conversations offline, and a lot of those are early stage conversations. So I talked to an endowment in the Midwest where they have an analyst that's covering cannabis for them now. They know who you know GTI is. They know who MSOS is. They're you know, they're starting to learn about cannabis. I've had conversations with uh, funds, whether they're hedge funds or long only funds, where they're aware of the Schedule 3 news, they're aware of the safe banking news, and they're starting to take a look at this. However, I did not see those people sending analysts to the conference, and they aren't in the stage of writing tickets so far. So I'd say first, my observation was not a lot of new, what we call institutional type investors. But I would say the investors were engaged and interested. And that's a qualitative assessment largely. But I will say we put together uh, a meeting. It was a breakfast meeting with a number with uh, with an operator. And we had to turn people down because too many investors were interested in coming. And these were all family offices or higher. So family offices, fund managers, you know, basically you know, family office up to real institutional. And two was the engagement level and the type of conversation we were having was pretty advanced. It wasn't who is this and what is cannabis. They were pretty far along the line in terms of understanding what this company did and showed up interested in asking questions. And the operator that we put it on for made the comment this was the best me the best group meeting that they had had in two years. And I don't think that's just because we're fantastic at water tower research, but I think it's because investors right now are actually looking maybe to take action. I don't know if those tickets are being written. I don't think there's evidence a lot of those big tickets aren't being written, but I think people want to have their ducks in a row so that when we do get more concrete news on a safe, a, a D or rescheduling or these new states, probably the rescheduling is the biggest one of all of these. This way, they're not starting off from zero. They're already up the curb. So maybe they'll say, hey, I'm not, I'm not ready to write that $10 million ticket until I actually see the action. But I want to know where I might spend that money when that time comes. And so my read on the investor side, to sum it up, is I did not see a ton of new faces or people I wasn't aware were in this space. But I did see an engaged group that was there. Why don't I throw it over to you, Toby, to hear your thoughts on uh, the investor side of the equation? Um, yeah, I, I largely agree. I mean, candidly, um, you know, and I, I, I like that, you know, we, we agreed that we'd be, you know, candid and transparent and, and politely disagree um, sometimes. Um, I, I would actually take the under on that a little bit. I, I personally felt like um, 
and and part of the reason I went to the conference um, in person was just to see who who was there. And um, you know, I I would say I wasn't surprised, but there were honestly no, I didn't see any new faces. Um, I and I didn't expect to. Um, you know, I'll I'll tell everyone that um, you know five weeks ago, post the uh, you know sort of the the uh, HHS recommendation and you know stocks um, you know jumping seventy percent, a hundred percent, whatever they did. Um, you know, sort of the following week, I, I did my round of checks, calling people, sell side analysts, et cetera, just seeing who, you know, hey, has your phone been ringing? Who have you been talking to? And um, look, it's still been pretty quiet, um, you know, between, you know, the that between that work, like a few weeks ago and the conference um, last week, and then I actually did attend a virtual sell side conference um, yesterday with a number of the companies and investors. Um, look, I think it's, it, we're still very early. Um, I think some of the previous funds and family offices that were invested in the sector a couple years ago, um, I think some of them, um, well, I know some of them are coming back, you know, they're, they're sort of kicking the tires again, dusting off their thesis, which has, you know, probably changed somewhat and, um, you know, revisiting, revisiting the, uh, the stories and the companies, et cetera. Um, but I think as far as like new uh, institutional money, um, I think that some are looking at it, but are just waiting. Um, you know, I think their stance is, you know, hey, not much to do right now because we need confirmation on, on schedule three. Um, and um, I actually continue to think that there's just a huge lack of, of, of institutional awareness in this sector, um, which, which sounds, you know, sounds bearish near term. Um, but I'm a little bit of a contrarian. I think that's only bullish long term because it's such a niche, you know, neglected sector um, for what is, I think, going to be a very uh, large market. Um, so I am, um, again, I wasn't surprised at the sort of lack of new faces. Um, I kind of expected it. Um, and I think it's going to take time. I think um, I think most of these companies, um, you know, they are they're going to have to um, start the reeducation process. Um, for bringing maybe some of the older investors back. And I think that, um, you know, they, they are going to have to do um, more to bring in a new set of investors. Um, but I actually think, I think it's actually, we're in a great point in time for new investors to be looking because I think everyone in the sector, um, the companies, you know, uh, mainly, I think that there's been a lot of lessons learned over the past couple of years. So, you know, if, if I were a company, I would say, look, my main message is like, look, this is a growth sector, but it's, it's an emerging market. It's a developing market and things happen in fits and starts. And um, that's just, you know, cannabis is still a little bit like the wild, wild west, right? Like I think the plane, the analogy I always use is the plane is taken off, but these companies are still building the plane sort of while it I lost you there, Toby. Yeah, we, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Morgan. So why don't we why don't we move on, uh, Toby? We'll see if we can get you back. But sure. yeah, one comment I've heard a couple of times from more institutional type investors is, Jesse, how do I play the game if I don't know what the rules are going to be? And so I think a lot of us here today are willing to make informed speculative 
decisions about how we think this is going to work out. And we think over a series of time, we're going to get to schedule three. We're going to get something like safe banking. Eventually we'll see the decriminalization or legalization. And somewhere along the way, we'll get uplisting. It will be on those higher exchanges. And I think we also, at least I personally believe that we have 23 adult use states today. I think eventually they're going to be 50. And so I think there's a lot more TAM to go there. But I do also, but I do respect people who say I'm willing to miss the first X percent of the move and I'll be able to invest when I know more what the rules are going to be. And I think Schedule 3 and a Garland memo would probably be you know, a couple of really helpful things in terms of establishing that rule set. But let me toss it over to you for a second, Morgan. You've been here, I think, the, the, you know, the, in the cannabis space for almost a decade. You've been to a bunch of these Benzingas. What was your perspective, A, on the people on the investing side you saw at the conference and what the attitude was amongst those folks? Yeah, well, uh, when we started, we were pretty much the only one, right? The only fund firm. Uh, and we watched a whole boom in investment firms or funds, private funds coming into the space. I think it peaked around... 50 that we knew of uh, back in that was probably 18 and coming back to this conference today it was a there was a very few of us we're back to a you know just a few and someone even made a comment to Emily that you know like wow you're the only female investor in cannabis at this point and um, you know just as representative of how much it's it's consolidated down um, because it's you know the capital has been tight. Um, so, you know, which is good. I mean, there was, there were way too many funds. They were seeding way too many things. Right. And that kind of caused the, the end of the last cycle um, was just, there was just too much capital chasing too few opportunities. Um, I think this it's been inverted at this point. Um, I think it's pretty clear um, where there's now just almost no capital, especially equity. Um, I think people are pretty know that um, I think there's too much, uh, largely too much debt generally in the space. And so more debt is not the solution. So we need more equity participants to be coming in. And so that does kind of narrow at least the initial uh, landscape. But, you know, talking with um, different groups, you know, unfortunately, it was like what you guys were saying, where they are, you know, they just they want the action, you know, they've they tried before to play the, you know, the potential of the change um, that didn't work out so well. Um, maybe they didn't have really, you know, robust process or, you know, identifying good companies or, you know, didn't really do the work on the, on the balance sheets and all that good stuff. Um, whether you're talking about tech or even, uh, you know, operating companies all the way through to ancillary companies, you know, the, the whole gamut, um, just the whole thing. Um, so there was some capital that has been very reticent to come back, uh, until they do see change. Um, and I do think that part of it is a bit of a perception issue. Um, um, because they do watch how these markets behave and they just see this market as being so addicted to, um, you know, just federal catalysts as like the only reason to be in the space uh, and discounting so much of the, uh, the fundamentals. So it's hard for them to get involved because even if you think about it, you get involved on the private side, um, you know, who are your most likely exits are to public companies within our industry, um, especially if you're talking about operating companies. Uh, because private equity is is still largely on the sidelines until 280E goes away and, and there could be measurable cash flow for these things that you could actually think about private equity coming to space, which they are interested, but they are waiting. So there still is a lot of waiting, um, uh, which is just unfortunate uh, because time keeps going. And and I think our industry, you know, this is a part of um, how we can earn more investor uh, perceptions to be improved is to generate uh 
more activity that's in a good way to make these companies, you know, it's been such a hunker down mode, um, but getting back to growth, I think is, is an important function. And people are, you know, this is something I was just noticing at the conference, like trying to help make things happen. And, you know, there's been things that we've been trying to get moving with a lot of businesses on the private side for many months and things just keep going, you know, time just keeps going by. It's like people got so afraid to take any risk um, because they've just been so fearful that people forgotten how to get back into the action mode. And, and, you know, we were running around introducing companies that can, you know, to try to help make some of these relationships and do these things. Um, Cause I think that can help with uh, investor perception is, is if they see good companies that after all of this, you know, the ones that make it through this look a lot better. And then if they're showing good growth too, you know, I think that would go a long way with bringing investors, but for now they do, they do seem very slow um, to get back into the game or come to the game. Um, and this is uh, even more so prevalent on the private side. We've, uh, you know, across the portfolios, we've really not seen a notable change in investor interest um, with the HHS news, nothing because it, again, they're just waiting to see um, when it's actually happening. And then I think they'll, they'll be ready to act, but for now they're comfortable waiting, you know, the whole T-bill and chill kind of mentality seems to be true for, for the cannabis industry. And Toby, one thing you and I uh, have had a conversation about about the conference is you saw potentially the M&A cycle returning over the next couple of years. Do you want to share a bit your thoughts on uh, how that might evolve? Um, yeah, sure. Um, can you hear me now? Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, sorry. Uh, spaces is glitchy again. Um, I dropped off for a bit. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I am... Um, you know, I talked to some some smaller some of the companies. I mean, I'm always in the ecosystem, whether it's talking to smaller companies, privates, or obviously, you know, the um, fund manager, you know, the VC funds, and um, you know, credit providers, etc. And um, you know, obviously, would love Morgan's take on this because he's a lot more involved in the private side. Um, but my sense is, you know, look, I think that there is definitely optimism around rescheduling. Um, and I think that there is, you know, well-placed optimism that at some point, um, the capital markets, um, particularly the equity market will open back up. Um, so, you know, usually in a sector that's developing, um, you would then, you know, sort of see additional, you know, uh, you know, capital markets activity, whether it's M&A or IPOs. Um, I got the sense that from, from talking to a lot of, you know, different stakeholders, um, I got the sense that the number of companies that actually think they might go public during, you know, a potential next um, up cycle for the sector, um, I got the sense that it's very slim. Um, I think that a lot of the companies, um, especially the smaller ones, um, you know, don't have plans to go public. Um, they uh, fully sort of believe that an exit for them is to a larger company. And um, obviously there's been a lack of M&A activity, um, you know, for, for a few quarters or for a while in this sector. Um, we, saw, we saw a couple of, uh, well, we saw a very large deal, right? Cresco and Columbia Care not happen. Um, I think, you know, Morgan probably knows better than me. There's been other sort of deals that have not gone through. Um, so I get the sense that most of these smaller companies um, they recognize the benefits of, of scale, um, of, of potentially joining a larger MSO. 
And, um, you know, a lot of times that's not entirely just up to the companies, right? It's, in, it's up to who's backing the companies from an equity perspective, um, also from an increasingly from a, from a credit perspective. So, um, you know, what I heard is that, look, a lot of the smaller companies, they, they definitely want to grow. Um, they, you know, um, will, will need more capital at some point. Um, but the whole point is to grow in order to then, you know, sort of exit and realize, um, realize value via an exit to a larger company. Um, you know, again, there, the sector is nuanced in the sense that you do have these license caps. Um, so there are restrictions around just sort of wholesale, uh, you know, M&A. Um, it's not as simple as saying, hey, company A plus B equals C. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of nuances there. But, um, you know, like I said, um, I think that, you know, the message I heard was that there's only a handful of companies that actually think they can IPO um, in the next couple of years. And um, of course, you know, I'd love to see it because if any company is going to IPO, um, we have obviously have had to have seen a, we need to be in a very robust capital market cycle for this sector. And that's only likely to come with um, with some type of tangible reform. But, you know, would love to kind of get uh, Morgan's thoughts around you know, what, what you heard at the conference um, around a potential M&A cycle. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, Morgan. And if you could also include in your answer, one problem I see is the companies I heard talking about wanting to be acquired are generally ones that are a mess. And so if you're losing a ton of money by yourself, if you have a tremendous amount of debt, I don't think there's going to be a line out the door to say, hey, I want to partner with that guy. And so I'm curious how you see that too, Morgan. Like, how does this play out? Where the weaker ones that the weaker ones seem like the ones they're the ones that want to be acquired, but I'm not sure the ones that have more cash flow and ro robust operations are looking to tack on those money losing businesses. Yeah, that well, that's that's the challenge for a lot of the industry just generally. Um, and not you know you know private or public, um, you know, having a tough balance sheet really makes it hard. Uh, cash is so precious. Um, and you can't clear the debt. Um, it comes with you, especially tax debt. Um, that's can't, can't just clear that. Um, and there's a lot of that, unfortunately, you know, you look in California then it's, it's a, it's tough. So, um, I do see, uh, the need for consolidation. Um, and I'm, I was actually kind of surprised that through this trough that we haven't seen MSOs just being very strategic in, and to your point, like grabbing just very high quality assets at very low valuations because they can command that with they themselves having very low valuations. So if they're not willing to do it, then, you know, at, at some point they will because they're going to need other forms of growth. Um, I think a big driver of that, though, is what Toby just hit on is these state caps um, have got to get reviewed and changed. And uh because it's there's there are mom and pop operators um, or there are venture backed private companies, um, and they're looking for ways to to exit. Um, not everyone wants to run a business in a perpetuity. Uh, venture capital has a life, um, so they're also looking to exit. So I think that would go a long way with unlocking a more robust cycle uh, in a lot of these key markets. Um, I know some companies are trying to uh, push that initiative I, and I would really welcome that change. I think Massachusetts would look dramatically different if they could do that. For example, there was just, you know, an article about this and, um, you know, talking about Massachusetts and, and some of the uh, retail that's going to close. And that's just really unfortunate, you know, for a long time, you know, uh, industry 
believer is uh, removing access is exactly against the whole idea of, of legalization in the first place. So we need some help from the states on that perspective. Um, hopefully they are seeing that. So instead of people going out of business and losing jobs, they are keeping their jobs and you know maybe selling their company to a larger business that would make it a more viable, stable business long-term. Um, but yeah, uh, when you're talking about the tech side, we have seen some transactions happening with private companies. Uh, it's all stock. Um, so that's, you know, understandable because cash is so precious again in this uh, cycle. But, you know, for really to generate liquidity, you need cash. Right. And that's the big difference um, that has been as the cycle gets underway and, and equity can come back into the mix, um, would expect to see more cash. And that would help to accelerate things as well. But, you know, the patient's been, uh, you know, out of what did you say, uh, Jesse, you says out of the out of the ER, but um, still in recovery kind of thing. Um, and that's, I see very true on the M&A cycle. It's not been like a V-shaped. It's It's been a bit of an L and maybe we got to start getting a little J in there um, in the cycle, but it would be be really nice to see. Um, again, I think a big part of that though is, is companies being comfortable raising equity. Um, we've seen plenty of shelves registrations. Um, we've seen some equity, but I think it would be great if the market could bear, even even with the market coming in a little bit, if it could bear some additional equity issuances so these companies can reload their coffers, um, take care of you know near-term debts that they need to, potentially you know have a better balance sheet to refinance, but then also get acquisitive again. Um, so it's just you know it's like got to restart the whole engine, uh, got to bleed bleed the gas a little bit. You know you got to do all the different things to get it all cranking again and trying to turn over and. But we, we, you know, um, so that's, again, where for my meetings and, and our conversations with so many companies are just got to get them comfortable to dip a toe into the risk pool again and, and uh, you know, be a little bit vulnerable. Not everything's going to work out great, but, you know, we we do have to take some risk here. And so um, that definitely plays into the M&A cycle. And, and I'm all for good deals. You know, like the ones I can't stand are just the ones that are just on a spreadsheet, financially engineered because um, those just don't work, period. I mean, I think there's plenty of uh, research and uh, real world data around that to prove that that is not a good way of doing transactions, uh, but good uh, strategic deals that, you know, have good operational efficiencies, good team dynamics. Um, you know, it would be great to start seeing that come back and uh, but got to get people feeling a little more comfortable to do that. Yeah, the overlap with companies and the caps in each state is really a problem. The stats, the caps in each state are frustrating, especially obviously when they're low. Um, New Jersey, you know, states like that have a three-store cap. Maryland's five. We were in Illinois, that's 10. So you get a little bit more room to scale. Um, I moderated a keynote with Jason Wild at Benzinka, and he was talking about how New Jersey isn't going to allow you to have more of your own stores, but you might be able to have some form of a managed services agreement and get exposure to revenue from more stores in New Jersey. So that would give people a little bit more scale. But yeah, it's really frustrating, I assume, for the operators as well. When you put all this effort into getting into these markets or these states, you build a brand, but then you can only have three stores. And Jersey is a fantastic example. The three stores operators tend to have tend to be fantastic stores, you know, 30, 40, up to $50 million stores in the first year. But then after that, competition comes in and you're still stuck, you know, uh, with those three stores. So that's one thing that's frustrating about the cap. But the other part that's frustrating about the cap is 
how do you put together the puzzle pieces in terms of who can actually acquire who? Because how many operators that you know may be a fit have overlaps in New Jersey, or they've each got, you know, uh, the, the 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 cap in Maryland now, where most people, most most MSOs have exposure to Illinois. So what do you do with those? And then we found out from the Columbia and Cresco attempts that okay, you put together the puzzle pieces. You say, I understand. I need to divest a couple in Ohio. I need to divest some things in Florida. Okay, cool. I think I'll be able to get X amount for these. But then if the market conditions are terrible and there's no bid for those assets, you can't even get it done if you want to get it done. So, yeah, the 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 caps in each state, obviously the taxes in each state are super frustrating, but the low caps, the inability to scale and then the complications that creates from an M&A perspective is certainly a source of frustration uh, on my side. Yeah. Well, and your point, uh, thanks for bringing it up, is like one area that we are seeing for a source of growth in, in lieu of M&A is trying to expand via... Uh, like, as you mentioned, MSA, uh, what are management services agreements, where they're able to uh, work with more retail, um, helps them get some more potential shelf space, you know, which is good for their verticality. Um, and, it, and it keeps a lot of capital out of, you know, it's an asset light way of, of expanding your reach, and especially in these dynamics with these uh, state limitations. So um, that is something we are seeing, and it is smart. Uh, you know, it's a creative way to try to generate more growth, more reach, um, without going through the full thing. And, and I imagine at some point they would want to consolidate those. And, and um, you know, we've definitely seen some of those agreements. And um, working with uh, some of these different operators is a is a is a good means of, you know, structure that, especially doors that they would like. Um, they may even have a rofer or some ability to potentially do that should the caps change. Um, so that way it's, you know, it's kind of seeding the clouds of, of future M&A, but it's not something that is, you know, in the next uh, three to six or 12 months, because um, we haven't necessarily heard of any states uh, near term talking about any changes on that stuff. Can you quickly explain for people that don't know, Morgan, what is a managed service agreement or what's what they call uh, MSAs sometimes? Yep. So let's say you, uh, uh, I own a retail license and a retail door um, in New Jersey. And I have, you know, I, I might not really know all the nuances because I, you know, I'm new to, the, to cannabis. Um, so I'm, I'm not very comfortable with maybe running the whole store myself. Um, so I look to bring in a partner to help bring in um, expertise. They might, and, which could be in a lot of formats. I mean, it depends on how robust you want to go. It could be from helping with inventory management, um, uh, you know, staffing, um, technology, compliance, you know, you, all of these things to be an operating business in cannabis, you can kind of tailor your agreements with an operator that, and they can be very involved to lightly involved, depending on your sophistication. Um, and that way they get a revenue stream off of it. Um, and those, you know, there's quite a wide, wide range of that. Um, I'd say the most interest for a lot of these operators is like, we'll come in, we'll provide you with support in all of those areas or some of those areas and in exchange, like help us uh, sell some of our products on your shelves, give us, you know, maybe a percentage of, of shelf where we can sell through some of our products. Um, and so it's a kind of, it's a good match, um, especially if it's, it's well-structured with a good operator because um, that door you know, without any of that help, they're going to go through a very painful cycle. They could potentially lose a lot of money, uh, might not be able to be a viable business, or they can come in and, and much quicker become a, you know, profitable kind of door. One that can, you know, without help might struggle to get to three, four, five million, but with 
help with these uh, groups that are used to running doors that can do eight, 10, 15, 60, you know, for in some of these instances where they really know how to run a door at scale, uh, that is really valuable insight. So it's worth, you know, sharing some of the, basically some of the revenue um, in one form or another with a, a, via an MSA to take some of the risk off the table. So it's a, it is a good relationship. Um, and we do think it, it makes a lot of sense because at this point in the game, you know, it's really hard uh, to come in and not have any idea and try to fumble around while you have professional organizations at this point that are just cranking. Uh, and New Jersey is, is a great example, right? Where the, the incumbent is very strong in New Jersey. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, hesitation from um, new entrepreneurs who have licenses and have licenses in great locations. And, you know, they spend so much time nickel and diming over uh, how much they get to take of the pie versus getting their door open. And in the meantime, the incumbent, you know, maybe not even a township away is just getting bigger and deeper with their customer. So it's going to make it harder and harder for them to get to, you know, the revenue opportunity they, they could have had. Um, so that's, that's the challenge is the competition is, is very strong. And so, you know, partnerships like that can help bring you into the game in a, in a much better way. That's helpful. Guys, we're almost up on the hour here. We did we did commit that we're going to try to keep these to an hour. Toby, I feel bad. We, uh, we're hogging the ball there for a minute. Do you have any closing comments you want to leave us with before we uh, move on from this episode? Uh, no, I think I think this is a good first episode. Uh, apologies for, I know Morgan dropped off for a little bit. I dropped off for a little bit. Um, it is Twitter. Um, so apologies for the uh, technical difficulties. But no, um, look, I think this is a great first episode. I'm looking forward to many more of these and um you know we um um there's definitely some stuff we didn't cover that we wanted to cover so we will we'll uh push that to next week but um um again look i think um like i, I think we like we kicked off at the beginning um you know we do believe this is a community um cannabis investing is a uh you know it's a smaller pond obviously in the grand scheme of you know investing in in broader asset classes um but excited to kind of partner with you too on this and um, appreciate everybody that listened into uh, our first episode. Yeah. To give people a bit of transparency, we had potentially six items on the agenda. We got to two of them. So plenty to discuss in the coming weeks. And this was intentionally a higher level conversation this time. We wanted to talk about our goals and objectives up front and kind of lay down the origin story in episode one. And I think we also wanted to talk about each of our bigger picture takeaways from the conference. But as we move forward, especially we get into earnings seasons, we'll, we'll be diving into the numbers. Um, I always like to talk about state level data. And um, we have a whole bunch of things we didn't get to today. We wanted to talk about capital activity, uh, people like Verada moving over to, the, over to the SIBO, the things going on in Florida. There's a whole bunch of more specific things to get into. So today was, again, more of a big picture conversation. We'll be getting into more of the details as we move through the next week. So why don't we leave it here, guys? This has been a great first episode. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. The views okay. expressed Thanks, in this guys. podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of Water Tower Research LLC, aka WTR, and are provided for informational purposes only. Higher exchanges may not be distributed or reproduced without written consent of Water Tower Research and should not be considered research nor a recommendation. WTR is an investor relations firm, not a licensed broker, broker dealer, market maker, investment bank, or underwriter, or investment advisor. Additional disclaimers can be found at watertowerresearch.com.
This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today.